Welcome to Difference Makers, where we bring you profound and enlightening conversations with remarkable people who make a difference through innovative and inspiring charity work. On this podcast, you'll hear the incredible stories of real-life Difference Makers, learn about the worthy causes and charities they support, and discover how charity work changes lives for the better. They call me the mother of birthmarks, and I consider every child born with a birthmark as if it were my own baby, and I fight and I lobby for every one of them to get an accurate diagnosis and an appropriate treatment plan. I'm Aldous Harris, and in this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with president and founder of the Vascular Birthmarks Foundation, Dr. Linda Roselle Shannon, who's making a difference by educating and funding research to ensure the proper diagnosis and treatment of vascular birthmarks. Well, good afternoon, Dr. Linda. I want to thank you for being here today. I'm excited to speak with you about the Vascular Birthmarks Foundation and for our community to learn about the amazing work you all are doing out in the world. So to get started, why don't you tell our community a bit about the foundation and a little bit about the work you guys are doing? Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me, Al. And I started the Vascular Birthmarks Foundation in 1994 when my own daughter, Christine, was diagnosed with an infantile hemangioma at 10 weeks of age. I didn't know anything about these. Um, there were there was no active internet, no parent support group, and no books for parent at the time. The only reason I learned about it was by going to my local medical center, Albany Medical Center Library, and looking it up. And by looking up the only book in the library, I found the author was in Boston, and I drove over to meet him to help me understand what my daughter had and uh, what the treatment options were. And when I said to him, why doesn't anyone know about these? He said, it's the most common skin defect in children with one in 10 being born with a type of birthmark, and yet it's the most misunderstood, and there's a real lack of information. So I knew at that moment that I believed my daughter was a gift from God and that God wanted me to start a foundation to close this gap so that every parent would have the options that are current and available for treatment and that every parent would have the proper information to know what their child had. And that was in 1994, and we're entering our 27th year now. And we are the number one not-for-profit in the world for all the vascular birthmark types. Going back to 1994, we're well before the age of going on to Google or some other search engine and finding information ready at our fingertips. We're so blessed and fortunate today to be able to do that. What was that feeling back in 1994? You're living this experience. Your daughter is born with this condition, but not having any knowledge. And then obviously commend you for going and being proactive. But what was that initial feeling that uncertainty and that doubt of what the the condition was? Uh, Well, my first thought was, how can they take a heart out of one human being and put it in another, but have so little information on the most common skin defect in children? So it was completely illogical. Also, because I'd have two brothers that were autistic and have been advocates for them, I kind of instinctively knew that this was something that I was going to have to advocate for. So rather than being angry or frustrated, I just put my hat on and said, I'm going to do something about this. And I never 
thought any other way other than I'm going to do something about this. And maybe that was my therapeutic way of dealing with the fear that you have because you don't know how big it's going to get, how many they're going to be, what's it going to do to her. And as it was, it affected her speech, her eating. She would constantly drool because it took up 75% of her lower lip. And the tumor, the hemangioma, which is a benign tumor, was the size of a golf ball. So, of course, there was a lot of fear and not having any information available. So the way I dealt with it was by starting the foundation to hopefully educate myself and then any other family that faced this at the same time. Initially, it was under another name, and the name has evolved. Is the evolution of the name of your foundation been tied with the evolution of our understanding of these birthmarks? Yeah, actually, the name, the original name was the Hemangioma and Vascular Birthmarks Foundation, and I got it from the book that I, one only book that was in the library on the subject, and it was written by John Mulligan, Dr. John Mulligan of Boston Children's. And he put all these lesions into two categories, hemangiomas or malformations. And after I had established the foundation, I found out that a hemangioma was a type of vascular malformation. So I dropped the word hemangioma and just kept it, re-established ourselves with the IRS as the vascular birthmarks foundation. So we'd be more generic. So people with birthmarks other than hemangiomas would understand that we related to them as well. So it was a refinement and, and to become a more all-inclusive general umbrella. And that's interesting because vascular malformations, if I'm understanding this correctly, is the global term. Hemangiomas is one of the vascular malformations, but my understanding is hemangiomas are the most common. Is that correct? Yes. There's, there's actually two categories that Dr. Mulliken put in his book. One are hemangiomas and then one are malformations. So they're two distinct entities. The hemangioma is the only one that appears at or shortly after birth, grows for up to one year. Then it can take up to 10 years to go away. All of the other ones, the other eight birth vascular birthmark types are either present at birth or come out afterwards, but none of them regress or go away on their own. They can stay stagnant or they can become progressive. So they're two separate entities, and that's why I I wanted the umbrella of Vascular Birthmarks Foundation. And it was also because the very first thing a parent is told when their child is born with any one of these nine is, don't worry about it. It's just a vascular birthmark. The doctor doesn't say, oh, it might be a capillary malformation or a infantile. He doesn't use that kind of language. They just kind of say it's a vascular birthmark. And so I knew from all the families that had been reaching out to me that the first word they were told is vascular birthmark. And I think that's why at one point in time, we were getting over a million Uh, visits to our website a month was because one parent would be told it's a vascular anomaly and they couldn't find anything, or some might be told it's a hemangioma, some might be told Port Weinstein, Sturge Weber, whatever. But when you went to our website, we keyed in every possible term, so then the traffic would go to our website. So the, the most highest hierarchy is a vascular anomaly. That's the current 
term umbrella for all of these is vascular because every one of them involve extra blood. So that's vascular. And anomaly, the word anomaly means not normal. So these are like a deviation from normal blood vessels. So that's the biggest um, umbrella, but we still go by a vascular birthmark because it's the most common plain language that parents are told. Okay. Do they know why some of these, and you mentioned hemangiomas will go away over time or regress, whereas the others do not. Do they know why that happens? Well, we know with, so we represent nine, the nine primary um, birthmark syndrome and anomaly types. There's nine of them. With every one of them, other than the hemangioma, they have found a gene. So they're a genetic mutation. Okay, that's it. They're somatic genetic mutation. We just haven't found the gene for the infantile hemangioma. We do know they're very familial. In my own family, it was my daughter, my twin sister, my niece, and my cousin. So all four of them had an infantile hemangioma. So it's very, very familial. Where the other types, the port wine, the clipotrinone, the Sturge-Weber, they do not have a familial content to them. They are usually one, and you know, most of the parents will say to me, "Well, I have another child that's going to have this," and um, I always say, "If you do, it's just very, very rare because they do worry about that, and they do ask me that quite a bit." It, correct me if I'm wrong. So it's it's gene related, but it's not hereditary. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, what we know so far is it's a somatic mutation and. So somatic mutations can occur in utero. It can be the first time it's happened in a family or it can be, you know, recessive. With most genetic mutations, you know, obviously by the name, the term, there's a gene that gets mutated. They don't know why. They don't know, you know, all the old wives tales are Port wine stain, the mother drank wine, you know, (laughs) strawberry birthmark, the mother ate too many strawberries. And when I was doing my dissertation on this topic and researching how the world and different countries view birthmarks, some of them consider the children to be like um, really highly revered, almost godlike, and other ones consider it a curse. We don't know the exact methodology of the mutation, like if we did, then, and, and they're hoping to do this now that they know, for example, with the Port Weinstein, which is part of Sturge Weber syndrome, they know that it's the GNAQ gene mutation. So they're hoping someday to create like a monoclonal antibody of that. So you take that mutation and you create a serum or a type of vaccination or some delivery agent to hopefully reverse it. That's like the dream Um, but again, you know, when the first thing you do is you look at thousands of cases, you find a common denominator and then you trace it back to a gene and you see that that gene is mutated. So you say, okay, we found the gene. And like I said, with eight of the nine, they found that they just haven't with the hemangioma, but what's different with the hemangioma is we found 85% of our mothers had a placental abnormality. So they either had toxemia, apresia, aprevia, low-lying placenta, an atrophy to placenta. Something was wonky with the placenta, as it was with me. Hmm. I had toxemia. 
Um, I suspect it's 100%. Since it was 85%, um, I did a study of 300 and it was 85% in my 300 and some mothers. I suspect the other ones had it, but it was never recorded because it was some kind of mild thing or the delivering doctor or doula or midwife never kept a placenta to find out if it was a sick placenta. So I suspect that that number of 85% of the mothers indicated that they had some kind of placenta abnormality really means a hundred. And also most people, by the time the baby's diagnosed, you know, a couple months after birth, they completely forget about their placenta. They're like, I don't remember. So that's different. So with the malformations, we've never heard of any placental abnormalities. Not yet, not yet. But we've heard of them as having genetic mutations. And that kind of takes me to the research piece. But before we do, I just want to um, make sure our community is aware. I've talked often about my niece, Jenna. So I have a niece, as you know, with Sturge-Weber syndrome. And that's how I learned about you and the great work that you're doing in this field. You've actually worked with Jenna's doctor, Dr. Ann Comey, who's a world-renowned researcher on Sturge-Weber syndrome. So as I said, that's how I learned about you. I have the utmost respect for what you're doing to help educate and inform people but the other piece to the work you're doing is the research and helping fund research. So can we talk a little bit about that? I'd love for our community to hear about some of the research that you've helped fund and some of the advancements that have been made. Well, um, first of all, I just want to give everybody a real overview of the facts about this. Primary care doctors are not taught about vascular birthmarks or anomalies in medical school. And families don't know about them unless they happen in their own family. When surveyed, less than 10% of physicians, primary care, knew anything about these vascular anomalies. And when surveyed, less than 5% of the parents had even heard anything about them before the baby was born. That leaves a 90% gap in knowledge. That's our primary mission. We educate the families about what the child has and what their treatment options are. And then I've assembled a team called the VBFI team, small I for international. I've assembled up to 16 different doctors and the, the team ro uh, rotates and changes of the top experts in the world. And we go to different countries. We do a, a conference where we lecture all day. Then we do a free day of laser and a free day of clinic. So we've been to like Russia, India, Italy, Israel. You know, we've been to many different countries. We were supposed to go to China in 2020, and that got canceled, obviously, because mm -hmm. of COVID. So th with this gap of knowledge, we don't just educate families. We educate physicians to try to close this gap. That's the primary focus of what we do. So our research, the research that we do is we assess families, what are their needs, what are their issues, and what are their concerns. Uh, one of the big concerns with lasering babies with a port wine stain is, should we use anesthesia or should we not? This, the, the treatments last less than 30 seconds often. So what I did is I went out and did a research study directly to the families. You know, what do you want? These are your options. So a lot of the research we do is in our patient population. Now, the work that we fund, we've funded various projects over the year. 
We work very closely, by the way, with Dr. Ann Comey. She is one of our traveling international experts because she's one of the few true experts. She's a pediatric neurologist, and one of the components of Sturge-Weber is seizure. So it's a triad. You can have the stain, glaucoma behind the eye where the stain is, and calcification on the brain. That's kind of a summary of Sturge-Weber. So to study the brain component, you need a neurologist and primary a pediatric neurologist. So she's one of the top pediatric neurologists in the world for Sturge-Weber. And uh, she and I just completed a top 50 questions on this, which we're hoping to get published this year for our website to answer the top 50 concerns of families affected by Sturge-Weber syndrome. So um, a couple of years ago, she did a study on diet and Sturge-Weber, and we participated in that study. We've um, participated in studies, some that are uh, survey-based. We just did the first ever in the world VBF COVID-19 study. We created a survey that 840 parents or adults affected by a vascular birthmark participated. We collected all the data. We analyzed it. We found out some very interesting things. The most common concern amongst the parents was missing treatment appointments, missing, not being able to get to the doctor if there was a problem with like a minor bleed of a hemangioma, which would have been considered a major issue pre-COVID. Um, also, 90% of the procedures done to children with vascular birthmarks are considered elective. So, of course, all the states shut down anything elective. So our patients that were getting uh, laser treatment to remove the port wine stain every three to four weeks were severely set back. Because if you meet, miss treatments over a period of a year, the stain will get darker again and you got to start back over to square one. So that was the primary concern from the parents and the interesting outcome from the adults was most of the adults who had a port wine stain on their face or a birthmark on their face had to wear a mask. And they said it was the first time they felt normalized that no one was looking at them or making comments because their stain was covered by the mask. And I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was a brilliant outcome from our study. Um, We're always looking to do research. We we, uh, worked with a doctor from Italy on establishing the first ever AVM, arteriovenous malformation staging system. Um, It was published last year in 2020, and I believe it's gonna save lives. So we do a myriad of types of studies from clinical, we participate with a lot of companies that are trialing, and we also initiate a lot of studies on our own because we have such a massive base of parents and adults affected by these. I also monitor upwards of 70 different groups on Facebook. Everything from, you know, UK Port Weinstein parents to my baby has a birthmark and yours doesn't. Those are actually names of groups on the internet. And, you know, maybe many of them are redundant, but, you know, these groups start up and they need somebody to answer questions so that the families all have the facts. And I'm the go-to person for that. So I answer the questions for those upwards of 70 groups any given day, any given minute of, you know, 365 days a year. Education and support, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So important. I remember when my niece was born and my sister and her husband were just trying to navigate 
all of the information that was out there and then truly the lack of information that was available. And they needed support from medical professionals, but also other families who had been affected by Sturge-Weber syndrome. And this is going back 16 years. And thankfully, in this age of social media, one of the great benefits of social media is we can connect with each other and share experiences, but we need experts in the field. And you're helping provide that for these families, giving them the education and support. And it's so important. So very important. Well, we, um, Al, we established a, a group called the Vascular Birthmarks Foundation Global Ambassadors. I call these my army. And right now we have over 900 around the world. These are parents of children with birthmarks and adults living with the birthmarks. And the adults do social events every month. They do social Zoom sessions to talk about difficulties in families, difficulties with access to treatment, difficulties in personal relationships. And it is absolutely phenomenal that at any given time during these social events, 50 to 75 adults from around the world living with a vascular birthmark will be communicating with each other and sharing their experiences. And I've had the privilege of being on a number of them where I've heard people say from all over the country and the world say, wow, this is the first time I've ever been able to meet with and talk with other people that have the same thing as me. We, we also have the only uh, patient doctor conference where what we do is we bring in 20 doctors every year. We either meet in New York or California. We alternate. It's always usually Columbus weekend and we raise money all year. We provide the families with free lodging, free breakfast and lunch, free daycare. They get a free clinic appointment, a free dental exam if they need it, psychotherapy session, and they get to listen to all the talks in person. Now, this is all pre-COVID we, we, and free laser. When, when available, we do free lasers for the Port Weinstein. So when I say we're the only one, a lot of groups do conferences, but mm-hmm. our families come for free because my philosophy is no one asks to have a child with a birth defect. So why do we bleed them? You know, some groups charge upwards of a thousand to fifteen hundred per family to attend their conferences, and I just find that un- unconscionable. Um, again, maybe it's because my own two brothers, you know, had autism, and I was so grateful that information was always available and free. So I vowed that you know patients would never be charged for information from us. And these these conferences have about 300 in attendance and families meet with families. They meet with doctors. They can get a free laser, dental. And for most of them, it's the first time they've had an accurate diagnosis because that's another interesting statistic. 65% upwards are misdiagnosed. So like even with your niece back 16 years ago, I'm sure her parents heard oh, it may be a hemangioma, or maybe it's a port wine, or maybe it's this, because that's what happens today. Even today, with the progress that's been made, there's still a very high misdiagnosis rate. And if it's misdiagnosed, then they're not given the appropriate treatment options because the treatments vary. One thing this brings me to is, I want to take a step back because we talked about this a minute ago, is this lack of education within the medical community. You had talked about how it's just not part of the normal 
for lack of a better word, the medical school curriculum. Why is that? It's such an important subject that should be investigated. Why is the medical community, for lack of a better word, skipping over it or ignoring it? Well, it's interesting because, like I said, the first time I met with Dr. Mulliken in 94, he said, and the opening line in his book is, one in 10 children are born with a vascular birthmark. And of those one in 10, one of the 10, so 10%, will need to see a specialist. In the United States, that's 40,000 cases a year that will need to see a medical expert. However, it's still considered a rare or orphan disease. Pediatricians are dealing with over 270 known conditions, defects, issues that can affect a baby. And that's why this isn't taught, because you'd have to teach every single possible condition. And that's not what they do in medical school. The medical school is generalism. And then you go into do your residency, you decide what you want to do in your residency, then you get more training with the specialists. So most of our doctors got their specialist training in vascular birthmarks or anomalies just from hearing about it or, you know, their own personal interest. And, and a matter of fact, Al, the president of the American Academy of Pediatrics is voted in every couple of years. And since 1998, around then, I would put a package together and send it to every new president and it would just get thrown in the garbage. Well, in, in 2012, I looked up who's the newest president and I found out this Dr. Thomas McInerney was only a two and a half hour drive away from me in Rochester, New York. So I'm in Albany. And I said, hey, I can go. I can drive there and try to lobby this guy. Then I started reading his profile and I saw that he was very interested in autism. So I wrote to him, not talking about birthmarks, but the fact that I had two brothers with autism and that led me into the advocacy work that I do with birthmarks. Hmm. And he called me and he said, you know, I would have probably thrown this in the garbage too, because wow. I was told to leave these alone when I was in medical school, that you do nothing. But he said, when I got your letter and I read it, a journal had come across my desk with pictures of these kids with disfiguring vascular anomalies. And I thought, well, maybe this woman has something so he invited me and, and I said, I will do all the work. So I created a chart that was the top five most significant things educationally that I felt could be done. Now, I, since starting this in 94, I went back and got my PhD in education. So I knew how to saturate with education. And my first proposal to the AAP through Dr. McInerney was, Let's change that physician desk reference, the big book every doctor has. And it went from one paragraph to 38 pages. Wow. Now, I didn't, I didn't write anything in it, but it was a recommendation. Um, I did a webinar with Dr. Buddy Cohen of John Hopkins, who's a colleague of Dr. Ann Comey's. Um, we did a webinar that's now on the American Academy of Pediatrics website. They created a dedicated space on their website I drafted a letter, which many of them edited, that went out to every insurance company in the country mandating they cover treatment because they were denying treatment for upwards of 75%, considering it cosmetic or elective. And guidelines for treating the hemangiomas were also approved through the AAP. So ever since then, I pushed myself to be involved in any initiatives 
that any of the societies are working on. You also have to understand every disease has like a medical specialty that's their like overlord. Mm -hmm. Even cancer has oncology, but vascular birthmarks or anomalies occur from head to toe, inside and out, from the cradle to the grave. And it's the only disease of a benign nature that occurs this way. Cancer also occurs from head to toe, inside out, cradle to the grave. But these are not malignant. 99 and 9 tenths percent of vascular anomalies are benign. So you can't really pick who who's the father. Is it dermatology? Is it hematology? Is it uh, ENT doctors? Because 85% are in the head and neck. So now you have all these clinics around the world and every one of them has a different type of doctor running the clinic from a general surgeon to a hematologist to a dermatologist to an interventional radiologist. So this this is a, another reason because it doesn't have like a uniform standard. But now I've been working with experts to go through their own personal academy and publish we have an orbit expert, and I and I encouraged him to publish through Oculoplastics, and he wrote the first book on this. You know, so we're pioneering and we're changing the medical industry on this to say no longer what we call benign neglect, which is just leave these alone. My philosophy, which I've been trying to promote worldwide, is called done by one. In other words, get them diagnosed as early as possible and get their treatment started so that most of the treatments can be completed by age one. Now, uh, through the American Academy of Pediatrics guidelines at the four week well baby checkup, that's where they examine a baby for any birth defects or anything wonky. And my recommendation to the AAP was to include at the four week well baby checkup an examination for birthmarks so that then that would be covered because any birth defects that are identified at the four week well baby checkup are supposed to be covered by insurance. So this was another way of trying to get knowledge to the primary care doctors. It, it is still, it's still a long haul and medical education. It takes eight years to change a drug to get from the day it's discovered Till it's saturated and in, in use by all pediatricians or whatever the doctor is. And this has been a real long and, and difficult task, but there's more knowledge than there's ever been. But every single day, I'm still getting tons of emails from parents from countries saying they don't know what this is and they don't know how to treat it. So there's, there's a lifetime of work for me and whoever will succeed me to do before I believe that this will become normalized, where they'll automatically know what it is and know what the treatment options are. But it's, it's going to take a lot of time. Guys and girls are graduating today from medical school, and they're not told what these are. And these are people that are going to practice for the next 30, 40, 50 years. So I'm constantly like in a boat with a spoon trying to get on the other side of the river. You're an incredible advocate. I had no idea the volume of work you're doing, the lives you're touching, the lives you're changing. Your passion and dedication is incredible. And I salute you. It is, especially someone like myself who has a family member affected by one of these vascular malformations. So 
I just want to say the work you're doing is truly changing lives. I'm curious to know what has it done for you? How has it affected you on a personal level? A great question, Al. Um, first of all, I want to give a shout out to us because next month we'll be hitting our 125,000th patient networked into treatment. And what it has done for me is um, there's a great book written by Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life. And I read that book before my daughter was born. And I would think to myself, I wonder what my purpose is. The book says we're all born for two reasons, to find God and to find our purpose. Um, I've been a Christian my whole life. So I believe I've found God and I have a relationship with him. But I wasn't sure of what my purpose was. I didn't feel like I had my purpose until my daughter was born. And I realized that day when Dr. Mulliken said to me, this is the most common uh, skin condition in babies, but the most least understood. I knew at that moment, it was like a light bulb went off in my mind that this was going to become my purpose. So it has become my purpose. And I've been doing this for going on 27 years I don't plan on quitting. I plan on doing this until I die. Um, I've got quite an amazing board of directors and full-time staff and four part-time staff that do this with me to ensure that this isn't just a one-hit wonder, but that it will continue. Because as long as babies are born with vascular birthmarks, anomalies, and related syndromes, there'll be a need for VBF. So we definitely are not going to go away anytime soon. And most of the people involved in my foundation feel that VBF is their purpose as well. So it's not just my purpose, but creating VBF has given other people equally as passionate as myself, their purpose as well. It's been so rewarding for me finding my purpose. And I love hearing your story of how you found your purpose and your purpose as you're living your purpose is helping so many people. It's, it's really incredible. Is there something that VBF has done that you are most proud of? I mean, I know the work you're doing is incredible. You're changing lives. You're making a difference. But is there any things in particular that you would like to share that really are those gold standards for the organization? Well, you know, doctors are educating doctors about this but there still remains the big gap of families educating families about it. In addition to doctors in remote areas or areas that have no information or no one there to train them being educated. So the thing I'm most proud of, which has been my mission statement from the day I started VBF, which was to network families into treatment educate them on their treatment options, and educate physicians on the latest information regarding diagnosis and treatment. Our mission has not changed in 27 years. So I think the thing I'm most proud of is that we have been working to fulfill our mission for 27 years and have never deviated from it. We continue to educate doctors. We continue to educate families. And we continue to give them accurate information. And as new information comes out, we use our soldiers, our 900 global ambassadors, our network to get that information out and to say to the families, hey, there's a new laser. We did this a couple years ago when the Prima laser came out. 
which creates a larger spot size. So it's less pulses and it gets better clearance for the port wine stain. We got that information out and families were begging their doctors to buy the laser so they could get better clearance. And we accomplished that within months of the new laser coming out. Is there a hope for VBF? I mean, obviously you're, you are committed. Your team is dedicated and committed to doing this work and you will continue to do it for the foreseeable future. But is there a hope? My hope having a loved one with one of these conditions is that they'll develop a really effective treatment or therapy, or maybe even one day come up with a cure or a preventative measure. Now, obviously that's a, that's a long-term, extremely optimistic goal. But for your organization, is there a hope for more success, a hope for breaking new ground? Well, I think the thing that everybody needs to know to be clear on is you can never prevent a vascular birthmark. We can learn more about it and what causes them. But, you know, say we find out it's a bad placenta. Well, what are you going to do about that? You can't go in a woman's body and test her placenta to see if it's healthy or not. So these vascular birthmarks will always be there. What the other part you said is, yes, I I am hopeful that someday as we discover these genes and begin to do, you know, work on understanding the genes that we will have a gene therapy that will, for example, for someone like your niece, keep the condition from getting worse, keep her from developing glaucoma or seizures keep the port wine stain from getting thicker over time. That's the true hope. And the true hope is for more continued therapies like we use right now, hemangiol and propranolol to treat the infantile hemangiomas. They're very highly successful, but not 100% of the time. So the hope is more treatment options, earlier accurate identification and diagnosis an earlier, earlier intervention. That's why I said I coined that phrase done by one, because most of these, if you can get them in treatment, like at four or five weeks of age, you can get the primary bulk of the treatments done before age one. It doesn't mean they don't have the condition. It just means the worst is behind them. You know, there's nothing worse than a parent of a a baby being told, oh, you don't start laser until they're three. Then they're on the internet and they're seeing babies one month old getting lasers saying, why is my doctor saying three? And that's because there's no uniform guidelines. There's inconsistent standards around the world. Many doctors don't even have the laser. So to be honest with you, we have patients that come from all over the world to New York City to our expert in New York City, Dr. Geronimus, just to get laser at four or five weeks of age so they can reach maximum clearance by one. And and so what does this tell us? It tells us there's a big need. The hope for the future for me is more doctors. Every pediatric dermatologist would have a laser. Every pediatric dermatologist would do early intervention at the four-week well baby checkup. Um, every, every primary care doctor would say, hmm, let's get this investigated. It's there at birth or four week well baby checkup. Let's get this child to a specialist and get an accurate diagnosis because you can't do anything about something if, unless you know what it is. And half of the battle I tell the parents is devastated as they are because everybody wants that perfect baby. And then the baby's born, it's got this birthmark. I tell them half of the battle is finding out what it is 
because there are confusing different ones. So getting an accurate diagnosis is your road to recovery because then you only have specific treatment options. But if you're giving it a different name every week, it's a hemangioma, no, it's a port wine, no, it's a venous malformation. The treatments vary and the, the children become medical nomads wandering from doctor to doctor for years. We, we have patients tell us it took seven years for them to get an accurate diagnosis, that they wandered from doctor to doctor and it took upwards of seven years to get an accurate diagnosis and then to begin the appropriate treatment. So of the vascular birthmark types, you said there were nine different ones. Can you take a few minutes and explain a little bit about each of them? Well, first of all, everything used to be called a hemangioma. So hemangiomas are the ones that are flat and red at birth, and they start to bubble up. They can enlarge, they can obstruct vision. And those are treated right now. The gold standard is hemangiol, the only FDA approved drug or the generic propranolol. You can also laser them very early. Now with the hemangioma, there's a syndrome. So that's one of our nine. And that syndrome is called FACE, P-H-A-C-E. And with that syndrome, babies that have quite a bit of hemangioma on their face are suspicious for this FACE syndrome. And the P-H-A-C-E is a different aspect. The P for posterior fossa that can be affected. The H is the hemangioma. The A is an aortic defect. C is cardiac. And E is the eyes. So you only need two parts. You only need the hemangioma and one of the other ones to have face syndrome. And all each one of those has to be medically managed by a specialist. Now we get into the malformations, because remember, they're either hemangiomas or they're a type of malformation. The most common is the port wine stain. Now some port wine stains, according to Dr. Comey, upwards of 30% of the port wine stains that occur on the face around the orbit area, and it could be higher, around the eye, will be suspect for Sturge-Weber syndrome. But by itself, a port wine stain is a flat red birthmark, and it just gets a little darker and sometimes thicker and puffed up over time. It never goes away. It never regresses where the hemangioma stops growing at age one and regresses. It's the only one that does that. The port wine stain can stay pale pink. Some people have that, but most people about 70%, it will get thicker, darker, develop little blueberries. We call them on it. We'll need maybe some surgery to keep it, you know, from distorting their lip or their eye or their ear or their nose, but that's the general port wine. Now, if the port wine is near the eye, then it becomes Sturge Weber. So that's our fourth item, the Sturge Weber syndrome. That's where it's a triad. You have a port wine, you have intracranial involvement, and you have eye involvement. And it can be any combination with, with no stain but eye or brain involvement with stain in the eye or stain in the brain or stain with the eye and brain. And the stain itself is treated, as the regular port wine is, with a pulse dye laser. That's the gold standard, pulse dye laser. With Sturge-Weber, if you, the patient has a port wine, it's in the eye or this intracranial and something shows up on imaging, they use anti-seizure meds to control the seizures. And for the eye, they use beta blocker, which is um, eye drops to control the glaucoma. The next we have are lymphatic malformations. 
those aren't present at birth, although they believe that they are, well, some are present at birth, but some of them can come out later. They believe that the mutation is there, but sometimes it's just not always apparent. And these mostly form around the neck. Some of these are seen on ultrasound in utero as a big cystic lesion. Those are called lymphatic malformations. The primary treatment is either surgery or a chemotherapy drug called serolimus. The sixth one is arteriovenous malformation. I actually call them arteriovenous monsters because they're such an aggressive lesion. Many of these occur intracranially in the brain. We don't really handle those. Those are a separate entity. We handle the ones that are extracranial. That means most of them are on the head and neck area or they could be on the arm. These are really, really aggressive lesions. And every time you try to surgically remove them, they come back with an, a vengeance and multiple combinations of drugs are used on these. I mentioned a new staging system because it's important to know when to treat these and when not to treat these. And that's our message is look at this staging system so you know when to treat them and when not to. So um, that's the AVM and the venous malformations. Those are almost never present at birth. They get progressive over time. They're often confused with a hemangioma and they need to be surgically removed. There's no real drug therapy that can go deep into the tissue to remove something like that. Although I am working with a wonderful company, Venthera right now, that's in a clinical trial of a topical that can treat superficial venous malformation. So that's the first hope that we've had for a topical therapy for the venous malformations. There's also a marbling birthmark called cutis mamorata telangiectasia congenica. That's our last one. That's number nine. Some doctors believe in leaving these alone, these CMTCs, we call them. Some want to investigate because they can have some underlying issues with this, like maybe some bone overgrowth or undergrowth. A lot of the CMTC or CMT cases can fade out over time. So parents tend to kind of forget about them, although they can leave a little bit of marbling. And these are often misdiagnosed at birth with a port wine. Is it a port wine? Is it cutis mamorata? With a port wine, you're going to be really aggressive. You're going to want to be aggressive and start treating soon after birth. But with cutis mamorata, sometimes you can hold back and wait and see, is it going to resolve on its own? So those are the nine various birthmark syndrome types that we represent on our website at birthmark.org. And as you mentioned there at the end about taking a more passive approach, in my research, I did read that historically that was the medical approach to all of these, to be more passive, kind of a wait-and-see approach, whereas today in um, the, the last several years or perhaps the last decade, there's more of an active approach, um, doing corrective measures, corrective surgeries. Up until the 80s, the, the, the approach to vascular anomalies was called benign neglect. In other words, you leave it alone. That's the, that was the approach until the advent of drug therapies and lasers. They would just leave these all alone. I mean, the most famous case is the elephant man. Mm. He had vascular anomalies. And of course, they didn't have any treatment options for him. But even though as disfigured as he was, if you looked at his birth picture, it wasn't as bad as it was. 
before John Merrick died from complications from his, because there were so many tumors, they were likely pressing on vital structures in his body. Oh, wow. So today we're, we're being more active because we have the means to do so medically with the technologies, the advancements that have been made. Exactly. We just need to get the information to be saturated into the medical community for the babies. That's all the primary care doctors. And for the adults, it's just re-educating surgeons and plastic surgeons and head and neck surgeons and radiologists and hematologists that these lesions deserve an accurate diagnosis and an appropriate treatment. And a big breakthrough came through in the last uh, 25 years with pathology, where there was really not focused pathology on these. Now pathologists are really taking a lead as well as geneticists um, with these lesions. And there is a international organization that's known as ISFA, the International Society for the Study of Vascular Anomalies. They are the leading, um, and they are not-for-profit as well. They're similar to us in that they're, we're both 501c3 charities, but they host international meetings every two years for doctors that know about vascular anomalies to learn what's out there that the doctors are exploring. So when you mentioned your annual conference, I had heard about it before. Everybody I know who's attended has really talked about how empowering was, how educational it was. When will your next conference be? And um, how would people register if they were interested, if they have a family member or a loved one who's affected by um, a hemangioma or vascular birthmark and they wanted to learn more? How could they come to the conference and participate? Well, um, first I want to say, um, you know, we've been doing these conferences for over 20 some years and babies are born every day with a vascular birthmark. They didn't care about COVID. The babies <laughs> were still born right. and the parents still needed the info. We refused to shut down our annual conference. What we did is we made a hybrid. We got our 25 doctors to all record their talks, which are on our website. And we had a, a, a COVID compliant clinic in New York City where every person that entered the building had a COVID test that we paid for. We paid for a rapid test of everyone who came in. Wow. They were screened to make sure they had not been exposed or were not being treated for it. We didn't get a lot because of travel, but there were 37 clinic appointments, 16 free laser treatments. And we were very proud because those families were unable to get any treatment at all during since February, March of 2020. Now, um, we just schedule, we are just now in the planning stages and have uh, set aside October 16th, which is a Saturday for our conference in, um, I believe that's the date, October 16th in Irvine, California at the Beckman Laser Institute. That's our um, partner uh, every other year. So we're either at the Lenox Hill Hospital in New York and the New York Laser and Skin Surgery Center for the Free Lasers, or we're at the Beckman Laser Institute. So yes, it's so Saturday, October 16th in Irvine, California. What we're doing this year, because I don't think, I don't feel this whole year, everything will be back to a full swing. I think there's still going to be modifications once we sort out the vaccine and, and you know, this whole new strain thing. So we are going to have a major clinic 
we will have free dental, we will have free um, psychotherapy sessions, but we will not have the lectures in person where the clusters of people gather in a room to hear a talk. We'll put those all online. We'll still have the free laser, so it'll be handled just like a clinic is in any doctor's office right now. You get screened, you go into the room one at a time. We'll have seven teams. Patients will come in, they'll have 15 minutes with the doctor, and then they'll leave with a accurate treatment plan. And for many of them, they'll end up the day before getting a free laser or free orthodontic exam because many of these affect the gums and the teeth. So we plan on having a still slightly modified conference clinic, but we will be there in Irvine, California on Saturday, October 16th. And the details for registration will be launched sometime in the first week in February at birthmark.org and through our various social media outlets. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for pressing on. I know these are challenging times with COVID, but as you said, babies are still every day born with these conditions. And we as a community need to keep supporting each other. You as a foundation leader need to keep educating and advocating for them. And you're doing that. And I commend you for that. How can our listeners support your work? What can our community do for you? Well, we at birthmark.org, you actually can donate. That will keep our work going. You can help us raise awareness in May. It's the Vascular Birthmarks Foundation's International Month of Awareness. May 15th is our International Day of Awareness. We ask everybody to put a red heart on their face that has lipstick or whatever that has a birthmark or a loved one with one. And we ask them to share a picture through our various social media outlets, such as uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, in 2019, we had 30,000 people share. And in 2020, we had 60,000. So we're hoping to reach over 100,000 this year. We also started a new campaign, and I think you're going to love it, Al. It's called More Than a Birthmark. And it means I am more than my birthmark, and you are more than your birthmark. So right now, we've asked our birthmark community to tell us three things about them not related to their birthmark. And we post their picture, and we say... Scott Couples is the highest ranking enlisted man in the state of New Jersey. He's a doctoral student and he's a single father. Or we have Jackson who's plays football, loves to fish with his grandfather and is an A student. And this is our way of letting everybody know, yeah, these people have a birthmark, but they're more than that birthmark. Obviously we focus on the birthmark for treatment for psychosocial implications. A lot of people have been bullied with these lesions. But now we're for 21 and going forward, we're going to focus on everyone knowing that these individuals that have Sturge Weber or Port Wine or Hemangioma or Venus or lymphatic or arterial venous, that they are more than their birthmark. Before we leave today, is there a parting message that you'd like to share with our community? Yeah, the parting message is Moms and dads, trust your instinct, trust that gut, that God, the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, put there when your child is born with a vascular birthmark and your doctor's like, eh, just leave it alone, it'll go away. And you're saying this can't be right. Well, the answer is you're right. Trust your instinct, follow it, 
do your research, go online, go to VBF, go to other places where you can get accurate information and lobby on behalf of your child, because that's what we do every day. They call me the mother of birthmarks, and I consider every child born with a birthmark as if it were my own baby, and I fight and I lobby for every one of them to get an accurate diagnosis and an appropriate treatment plan, and that's what the parents should do as well. This is Difference Makers, and you, Dr. Linda, are a real difference maker. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story with our community, and thank you for all the amazing work you're doing to make a difference out in the world. Thank you, Al. On behalf of Difference Makers Global Community, I want to thank you for listening. And if you'd like to learn more about today's guest, visit differencemakers.org. There you'll find a dedicated page for each of our Difference Makers and a link to their charity's website, where you can learn more about their inspiring work and support the mission. And for our readers out there, I have two books that I wrote that I'd love for you to check out, Crossing America for a Cure and Running the Coast for a Cure. These books chronicle charity adventures I did in honor of my niece, Jenna, who was born with a rare neurological disorder called Sturge-Weber syndrome. Both books can be purchased on Amazon.com, and all profits from book sales are donated to Sturge Weber Research. Thanks again for listening, and remember, in each of us is the power to make a difference.